0: Welcome to International Marxist Radio, the official podcast of the International Marxist Tendency, marxist.com. Join us every single week for Marxist news, theory and analysis. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of International Marxist Radio. As I said previously, we're going to be reaching out to the whole of the International Marxist tendency to hear voices from across our organisation, to hear about the work we're doing in different parts of the world and to provide analysis of the main political developments in a number of different countries. And this week, we're very lucky to have with us Adam Powell, who is a leading comrade with Lal Salam, our Pakistan organization? Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joe, and
1: thank you to International Marxist Radio for inviting me on this show.
0: It's a pleasure. Um obviously the situation in Pakistan is especially difficult at the moment, and it feels as though. The country has been beset by a number of different crises. Only a few months ago you had this devastating floods which put something like a third of the whole nation underwater. There's threat of an economic default and a full-blown financial crisis. There's open clashes within the ruling class who are fighting each other like cats in a sack. And I'm sure that many of our listeners probably don't know a great deal about Pakistan's politics. So I wondered if you could just give a quick overview of the situation as it stands and help us to make sense of all these different crises and why they're all happening together at the same time.
1: Oh, Thank you, Joe, and thank you to International Marxist Radio for giving us time uh, at this prestigious show. And yes, uh, you are right that the situation in Pakistan is really very, very bad and getting worse all the time. And uh, the situation, uh, if you, <laughs> it's very difficult to say that from where we should start, either from the climate catastrophe or the political crisis or the economic crisis or even the crisis of the state itself. But it is clear that basically it is the fundamentally the crisis of the capitalist system, uh, which is in decline all over the world, and it is in deep crisis even in the most advanced countries on the planet. So Pakistan uh, is already a poor a backward country, and now this capitalist crisis is uh, uh, doing a havoc on every aspect of life uh, you can see uh, in this country. And we can start with economic crisis, actually, uh, where uh, it is being predicted and it is being projected that Pakistan is going to default in the coming months. And uh, the total uh, economy of the country is near a collapse, actually. And there are many figures I can give here, but uh, basically Pakistan in in its... uh, uh reserves has around $3 billion, and it has to pay around $7 billion of debt in coming three to four months, which uh, they don't possess. And they are asking for loans and uh, for grants from all over the world, but nobody is there to help them. And meanwhile, the government is uh, uh, shifting all the burden on the masses. Inflation is skyrocketing. The government says that it is around 31 or 32% independent sources that say that it is around 40 to 50% inflation and uh, similarly uh, the other factors the trade deficit the current account deficits is very high they are increasing the taxes uh, currency devaluation is at the record high uh, uh, so depreciating at a speed never seen before in uh, country's history, and uh, uh, there is also, uh, you see regularly, uh, you can see scarcity of uh, essential goods because Pakistan is a net import importer country and most of uh, the essential items are imported from other countries, but the countries has, do not have enough uh, dollars to, or foreign uh, reserves to pay for those imports. So uh, uh, things like uh, medicines and essential food items are stuck at the ports and are not cleared. And uh, similarly, just like even fuel is imported, uh, uh, oil is imported for most of the needs of the country. So, overall, the economic bankruptcy is on the card. Uh, it seems that it is going the same way as it went down in Sri Lanka or Lebanon or in other countries.
0: And we'll come back to the comparison with Sri Lanka, because I think that's important for Pakistan. But it seems to me that a number of countries are in Pakistan's position, countries that are poorer, that are heavily indebted. And of course, there were a number of events that accelerated the world crisis that puts pressure on countries like this. You had the COVID pandemic, of course. Then more recently, you've had the cost of living crisis, which started before the war in Ukraine, but was accelerated by it. You had countries like the US raising interest rates, which of course means that countries that are heavily indebted, especially dollarized debts, suffer an intensification of the economic crisis. As you've explained, the burden of this is put on the shoulders of ordinary people. And we put an article on Marxist.com last year, which talked about the... Explosive material that's building up in countries like Pakistan because people are becoming so desperate and so angry The political establishment is so rotten So I I wondered if you could quickly explain The extent to which this intensifying crisis is causing anger in the population And is creating this explosive situation and how that might lead to a resurgence of the class struggle
1: Oh yes, anger uh, is uh an all-time high, and people are suffering. Uh, Millions and millions are getting unemployed uh, on regular basis. Uh, Industry is being shut down, and many industrial units in the past months and uh, whole years, two, three years, have closed down, and millions of workers have gone unemployed. Main industrial centers like Karachi, Lahore, Faisalabad, there are hundreds of big industrial units that have closed down in recent years. Because Pakistan's export industry also is very dependent on the imported raw material. So when the country don't have enough uh, uh, dollars to buy imported raw material, so even they can't uh, keep the industry running, even the textile industry is a lot dependent upon the imported cotton or other materials. And machinery is not uh, mostly imported. And secondly, this country is called a, mainly an agriculture country, but the agriculture sector is also collapse, collapsing, actually. And the main crops like wheat and uh, cotton and others have suffered a lot. Even <laughs> if they call it an agriculture country, but Pakistan is importing onions and tomatoes, actually. So They are buying onions and tomatoes in exchange of dollars. So what do you expect from a country like that which is going to collapse. Even, uh, for example, in, in India, there is an abundance of, there is an overproduction of onions, actually, and uh, onions are being sold for only two rupees per ki- kg in India. And in Pakistan, just few kilometers uh, on the other side, the onions are being sold for 250 rupees per kg. So there is a huge difference. And in India, the growers, the farmers are uh, suffering and in Pakistan the consumers are suffering so there is an imbalance uh, between that and uh, Pakistan is actually agriculture sector is suffering a lot even uh, cotton producers even uh, sugarcane producers all kinds of farmers are uh, in a really very bad situation and those people who are who produce uh, food for the whole country are themselves hungry at this moment which is a big huge disaster, uh, which has been compounded by the f- recent floods, but there are many other factors. Uh, one of the uh, that is the corruption and loot and plunder of the ruling class. So as far as uh, you are talking about uh, the crisis, yes, COVID crisis and uh, crisis of the American economy in which they have raised interest rates and Ukraine war has added to this misery. But one important fundamental factor in Pakistan's uh, this whole crisis is uh, the Afghanistan war, which came to a grinding halt uh, uh, almost one and a half years ago. And uh, American imperialism withdrew uh, from Afghanistan after a humiliating defeat uh, from their old partners and old uh, allies, Taliban, who are now back in uh, Kabul.
0: And of, course the, and of course, the Americans leaned on Pakistan more or less as a staging ground for their intervention, right? Yes, yes,
1: always, even before that, that has been continuing for more than 40 years. That started after the Saur revolution in Afghanistan in 1978, and Pakistan has been an ally, or you can say a stooge of American imperialism and providing them with uh, jihadis. And uh, that, that is uh, here called as a dollar jihad, because the jihad was, uh, sponsored by dollars, actually. So many people are writing here on social media that uh, the rate of the dollar is getting higher and higher here every day. So that is because uh, its cred- its credentials are uh, increasing, and uh, because it has fought a holy war in
0: Afghanistan. Yeah. <laughs> the dollar so, has benefited from the uh, the added value of the holy war. Yes.
1: So after American uh, ran away uh, with the tails in uh, between their legs from Afghanistan, so all the money coming uh, for that war for billions of dollars. According to some estimates, the Americans have spent around three trillion dollars in twenty years in Afghanistan last uh, in so-called war on terror, and uh, definitely most of this uh, money went to the American multinationals, uh, military industrial complex or contractors and other people. But some part of it was definitely coming to the ruling class of Pakistan, the generals here, the army, top brass in Pakistan, and of course, uh, ruling class in Afghanistan, which were the stories of American imperialism. So that was one of the factors uh, around which uh, in last 20 years, Pakistan economy was revolving around. And there was growth in the real estate sector, there was growth in the services sector, in the banking and finance sector. But there was no development on the industrial side or on agriculture or any. So all this imperialist loot and plunder going on for the last 20 years came to a grinding halt. And uh, Pakistan's economy actually has been linked with uh, wars and different imperialist wars in and around the country for the last 70 years. So, this is the one of the factors, and that is why Pakistan is, was trying to uh, get involved in the Ukraine war somehow to keep, kept, uh, keep that money flowing here, but eventually that couldn't happen, and we see this happening there. And also, well, one more thing I want to add, that uh, this crisis of Pakistan's economy, this bankruptcy towards which Pakistan is going, is actually the f- uh, one of uh, Not only the failure of the Pakistani ruling class, which is bloodthirsty and is uh, uh, taking out uh, all the money from the pockets of the common people and the working class in Pakistan, but it is also the failure of IMF, of World Bank, of American imperialism's policies, because Pakistan has been the largest receiver of IMF's packages in the world. Pakistan has received 23 packages from the IMF uh, in the last 70 years, while uh, Argentina is the second, which has got around 22 packages. And Argentina has also defaulted many times, so now it's Pakistan's turn. So it is the failure of IMF, of the top, uh, so-called top economists of the world, which has failed to uh, keep this country afloat.
0: And of course, in the last period, one of the main mechanisms that American imperialism has used to secure its authority, has been debt. Um, the so-called bailouts from organizations like the IMF and the World Bank, so-called third world aid, these are ways that American imperialism has kept countries like Pakistan in thrall. The so annual budget
1: of Pakistan today, around 50% of the annual budget goes into the pockets of these financial institutions and international uh, these uh, loan sharks and around 30% or even 35% of the budget goes to defense. Um, and There also a huge amount is uh, used for uh, procuring weapons and uh, military uh, hardware from other countries. So around 80, 85% of the uh, annual budget is uh, used for only these two purposes. The rest of the 15% is then distributed among the politicians for loot and plunder for contracts on roads and other things. So there is not, uh, not much left for the health or education or other basic uh, needs of the people. Even in this crisis, even in this crisis last month, uh, 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 not only the defense budget has increased uh, this year, but they also get supplementary grants, which is uh, apart from the defense budget they are getting. and. Uh, the most notable growth uh, in recent years has been of the defense housing uh, societies in Pakistan in every city. They are building luxury housing societies for the rich people, which is being sponsored by the army. And uh, army directly controls around uh, one third of the economy. And uh, uh, all of that business is tax-free and subsidized. And that goes directly to the pockets of the uh, top generals and top class. So there's a lot of loot and plunder going on from all sides. And now actually the uh, these financial institutions and the army generals are fighting amongst each other that who will get a cut because the uh, pie is now small, getting smaller and smaller, and now they are fighting with each other. And IMF is asking generals to cut down their uh,
0: expenditures
1: or uh, But they are saying that we are not ready for that and we can put put the burden on the shoulders of the common people more and more.
0: And the top brass of the armed forces in Pakistan, they play a really outsized role in the states. That's right, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes, of course. uh, All the politics at the moment in Pakistan is revolving around that. And that happened even uh, from the beginning of this country's when this country was born, but now, uh, but always it was happening behind closed doors. But now it is all open and every day on social media, there are attacks and counterattacks on generals and uh, by uh, establishment is divided into many parts and uh, they are uh, fighting with each other and accusing each other of corruption, of money laundering, of all kinds of attacks and even supporting different parties for their own vested interests. and. Uh, bringing in some party into the government through uh, fraud elections and then uh, kicking one government out and others. Just like last year, there was a regime change operation, as Imran Khan called it, in April, when Imran Khan's government was ousted, and uh, this Shehbaz Sharif uh, and PDM, which is an alliance of more than a dozen parties, came into power. So all this is uh, being uh, put on the... <laughs> Uh, was It is clear that it was on the dictations of the army chief at that time, and then army chief had to be replaced in, in November a uh, few months ago, and now there's a new army chief, and he's siding with which party that would decide uh, the government in pa- fate of the government in Pakistan. And actually, one of the main reasons is that these political parties are losing their support base, whichever they had in the past decades now, and they are hanging in thin air. And they are actually representing only different factions of the state or different uh, factions in the among the generals, and they are not representing any sections of the population. So that is a very important development in Pakistan. And large sections of the Pakistani society, either that is working class or middle class or uh, even rural areas in peasantry, uh, they are not uh, supporting. Any political, established political parties and whole political edifice is rotten to the core. And uh, there's a huge anger and uh, against all that. And the people hate all these political parties from
0: uh, all from left to right. So obviously the political situation, the political establishments in Pakistan is very corrupt and it's quite complicated. Just for our listeners' benefit, could you quickly outline what are the main political factions uh, in Pakistan, the, the main parties and also the the main factions within the armed forces, just so that we have a bit of clarity on exactly who's fighting who here?
1: When there, if you talk about government and opposition, uh, the main opposition party is Imran Khan's uh, PTI or Pakistan tehreek e Saf, which was in power for around uh, 4 years from 2018 to 2000, april 2022 and uh, they came they came to power for the first time in the federal government in two, 2018 but uh, it was clear that they were brought by the military establishment or you can say the military generals uh, prepare it, it is now an open secret that they started building that party in 90s and there was a late general uh, uh, who was the uh, Director General of ISI in 88, 89, and who himself claims to be the one of the heroes who was involved in the dollar jihad in Afghanistan in the 80s. And uh, he claimed himself that he defeated the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. He was a right, right, right-wing general who supported Taliban and all fundamentalists. So he was considered as the patron-in-chief of Imran Khan, or you can see the mentor of Imran Khan, who dropped him up and brought him in politics in the 90s and established his party. And through his faction of the army, uh, Imran Khan was being uh, sponsored and built and through media campaigns and all that. Other politicians were, uh, by hook or by crook, were asked to join this party over a period of time. And in 2018, they brought him in uh, power through fraud elections and to media hype, artificial media hype, and uh, a lot of uh, political maneuvering and elections maneuvering. Uh, and uh, in 2018, that was the biggest deployment of uh, army in elections, actually. In every election booth, there was a soldier there, and there were widespread acquisitions of uh, ballot stuffing with ballot papers by arm- army people and all that. However, when Imran Khan came to power, he, he couldn't deliver on his promises of... Uh, giving employment and building homes for the poor or other years and uh, miserably uh, collapsed all on all his promises. Before coming to power, he was uh, giving an anti-imperialist rhetoric all the time, a rhetoric against IMF, and he even claimed that he will commit a suicide rather than going to IMF for a bailout. But as soon as he became prime minister, the first thing he did was to go to the IMF for a loan. And even changed his finance minister on the directions of IMF and uh, even handed over the uh, the State Bank of Pakistan, the official uh, central bank, to the IMF through a legislation. And then he had very other reactionary measures across the country against the working class, uh, against trade unions, against students. And his remarks about women were very filthy reactionary remarks against uh, women in which he was... uh, victim uh, blaming the rape victims in Pakistan openly, publicly as a prime minister of the country. So all this was going on and he became unpopular and uh, he had differences with the army generals as well. And then the other clique came back to power. And now the prime minister is Shabazz Sharif. He's the younger brother of Nawaz Sharif who has been in uh, three times prime minister of Pakistan already. And they are leaders of the the party which is called Muslim League. Nawaz, after the Nawaz Sharif's uh, name. Uh, Nawaz Sharif himself was brought into power in 1980s by a military dictator, General Zia. And under his uh, General Zia's backing and support and a uh, pattern, he became chief minister of Punjab and later prime minister for the first time in 1990. And later on, his political career evolved. And now his younger brother is the prime minister and uh, Nawaz Sharif's daughter is the one, another main leader of uh, this party. Another party which is also now in power is Pakistan People's Party, which is being led by Asif Ali Zardari, who's the former president of the country. And uh, his son uh, Bilawal Bhutto Zardari is a, a foreign minister of Pakistan. And uh, uh, this party has a legacy Uh, Pakistan People's Party of the Bhutto legacy, uh, earlier Benazir Bhutto has been a two-time Prime Minister of Pakistan from this party and uh, this was founded by Benazir's father Zulfkar Ali Bhutto uh, in 1967. At that time in 1968-69 there was a huge revolution in Pakistan and in that period People's Party came into power and became the largest party in Pakistan and uh, was representing a working class and his entry at that time and raised the slogan of socialism and uh, of bread, clothing and housing for everyone. But uh, over a period of time, they betrayed the slogans, betrayed the working class. Even Bhutto betrayed the movement of 68, 69. At that time, it was possible to carry out a socialist revolution in Pakistan, but uh, Bhutto couldn't uh, deliver and restored capitalism here. So that, that betrayal continued uh, even during the times of Benazir Bhutto when she came uh, uh, to power and became, was first female prime minister of the country in 1988. And she started the policies of privatization, of liberalization, and following the dictates of IMF and World Bank. And now that party has lost all its base across the country and there are no working class or Sport among the peasantry or even youth for this party. And they are also hanging in the air. And now they are also part of the coalition government. And there are other parties in the coalition government which include Islamic fundamentalists uh, like uh, Fazlur Rehman's party, J-U-I-F, and uh, MQM, which is a uh, right-wing reactionary party based in Karachi and other cities in Sindh, is also part of the coalition and other nationalist parties are part of this coalition. So this whole coalition government came to power in April last year, but since then they have uh, carried out uh, huge attacks on the working class, the masses by increasing taxes, increasing uh, uh, utility bills, and uh, cuts in the public uh, spending on uh, health and education and others. And uh, ultimately we see, and the two finance ministers have also changed since then, and both have, uh, uh, haven't have done anything to revive the economy. And ultimately, we see here that it is moving towards a bankruptcy.
0: Yes, Adam, thank you. I think it's really useful to remind everybody about the revolutionary history of Pakistan. A lot of people might not have heard about the genuine revolutionary movements in the 1960s, you know, in spite of its betrayals, the lineage of the PPP and, and Bhutto, and obviously there's um, powerful and radical labor traditions in Pakistan that perhaps we can talk about later. But last year there was a constitutional crisis that saw Imran Khan kicked out of power, as you said, and more recently it seems that he's been trying to claw his way back into power, and he's involved himself in this open clash between different factions of the ruling class. He was actually shot in the leg last year at a rally uh, as part of this. Uh, Yes,
1: Imran Khan uh, uh, was kicked out of power by the generals who actually brought him into power. And the power struggle was going on was actually mostly homegrown, among the top generals actually. Or if you uh, uh, say it more clearly that Imran Khan was uh, being backed by Some generals, just like the former uh, Director General of ISI, uh, General Faiz Hamid, who was actually trying to become the next uh, new army chief of Pakistan. And at that time, uh, army chief was General Kamar Bajwa, uh, who actually brought uh, Imran Khan to power in 2018. And General Kamar Bajwa and General Faiz Hamid were very close friends, uh, working together, actually. And they, uh, in fact, brought uh, Imran Khan to power in 2018. And uh, it was clear that General Bajwa was uh, due to retire in November last year. But before being retirement, there was a a lot of hassle or a lot of wrangling about who will replace General Bajwa after he retires. So General Bajwa was uh, aspiring for the new post, and he was trying uh, to become that uh, he will be the army chief uh, after Bajwa retires in 2022 and then he will take the charge and he will uh, obviously be the army chief for the next three years and he can get an extension. So for six years, he will remain the next army chief. And Imran Khan has put all his, uh, you see, that uh, bets on General Faz. and he thought that when he will be the army chief, he will brought him back into power and for the all of another six years, Imran Khan will remain the prime minister of the country. But all these dreams couldn't materialize <laughs> as uh, they were quite popular and everybody could uh, uh, know that these were the plans. So there were people who were uh, other aspirants of the job. And it is now clear that other generals uh, tried to block the way of FASMID and was uh, thinking themselves that because there were a lot more than six uh, contenders for the top slot and everyone was maneuvering with the, their own political parties. And even General Kamar Bajwa uh, was uh, trying to get another extension. Rather than uh, uh, retiring from his job, he was trying to continue as an army chief. So they were all players involved in uh, the all political parties were trying that uh, they get an army chief of their choice of their backing so they can get back into the government because if army chief is there and because army chief controls all the politics, all the elections, all the judiciary, all the civil service, all the economy and directly deals with the foreign governments, with Americans or Chinese or Saudis. So army chief is considered important by these powers. So they are negotiating directly with army chief. So all political parties were betting on that. So eventually what we saw in the end that uh, Fais Amit couldn't uh, uh, become the army chief. And uh, Imran Khan's long march when he was uh, it is said that he was hit by bullets or there was a uh, considered a, a assassination attempt on, alleged assassination attempt on Imran Khan. So that was also being considered that that was uh, all part of a plan so that his favorite general can become the army chief, which was Fazamid at that time. And it is now coming to the fore that uh, Imran Khan was kicked out because there was a fight among generals and they wanted that Fazamid couldn't become the army chief. And even the constitutional drama and all the things which were happening at that time was saying that Fazamid's faction in the army was supporting Imran Khan. And he was violating constitution at that time. The speaker of the national assembly and other uh, key position holders of the Imran Khan's party was not following the constitution at that time, and that was only because they had a backing of the generals. And Imran Khan has openly claimed in his speeches and his uh, uh, TV interviews that he has support of uh, an army officers, and he is being. Uh, Constantly being uh, in, uh, feed, getting feedback, and is in consultation with those army officers who back him, and they want him to come to power. Similarly, there are other factions and other generals and other officers who do not support him. So all this was definitely in Pakistan. Americans have a very big influence, uh, not only in the army but in the politics and in the government. And Imran Khan, when he was kicked out of power, he publicly said that that was an uh, American conspiracy that uh, was hatched to kick him out of power. And he used uh, anti-American rhetoric uh, quite a lot uh, during those speeches and which drew some crowds around him. But uh, when uh, he got the heat due to that rhetoric, he started to tone down that thing. And uh, now he has Totally, clearly said that he was misinformed, actually. And that was not American conspiracy, but that was the army chief who has retired now, uh, was behind all that. And now he uh, is aspiring to have a discussion or friendly relations with the new army chief, which he has actually opposed bitterly from coming into power. And he has allegedly uh, tried to remove him from his post uh, many times earlier. So all this was actually the fight and uh, 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 wrangling between the generals. And of course, uh, American approval is uh, a decisive factor in Pakistan. Even many generals in the past have claimed that it is Americans who decide that who will be the next army chief in Pakistan. It is not decided in Islamabad or Hindi, but it is decided in Washington that who will be the army chief of Pakistan. So that uh, links. Even the... Opposing factions of generals who wanted to become army chief, they approached Saudi Arabia and other imperialist powers of the region to support them for the, their slot, but uh, they didn't have any support.
0: Mm. Imran Khan's on the run at the minute, isn't he? There's been an arrest warrant issued against him and he's refusing to give himself up. Oh
1: yes, uh, that is the usual politics in Pakistan. Whenever... As a, business as usual and, in Pakistan. When Imran Khan was in power, he was doing the same with his opponents and Nawaz was put into jail and many other uh, leaders, political leaders were uh, being uh, done the same thing around corruption charges. And now it is the turn of Imran Khan. But uh, that is just like a gimmick or that just uh, has uh, no, uh, you can see the real content is not about that and uh, even the prisons and jails for these leaders are very comfortable for uh, as compared to the common persons living and, <laughs> yes as yes, ordinary worker in pakistan will love to be in a prison like that in which uh, these people <laughs> live uh, and their luxury homes are definitely uh, uh, another thing but even their prisons are very luxury and comfortable as compared to the ordinary workers uh, living and also, this is a political haggling is all about to divert the real attention as well. Because Imran Khan is in jail or not, that doesn't uh, uh, gets uh, food for the worker on their table or pay their utility bills. So they have nothing uh, in this fight. This is just a fight of the ruling class among themselves, and uh, this is just to divert the attention of. Uh, Uh, the people. If you see, if you read newspapers, you watch TV channels, you watch commentaries of political commentators, everything is talking about Imran Khan's cases, Imran Khan is uh, getting into the court, is going or not going. So that is all the news around and people are suffering, people are dying with hunger every day. Even in Pakistan, suicide rate has uh, risen a lot and uh, even there are so disturbing news that Parents are killing their children and committing suicide due to only due to hunger or due to poverty and people are dying because they do not have enough money to buy medicine or other health facilities and thousands of people are dying every day due to poverty and hunger and no media is covering that no newspaper is giving reporting that no TV channel is discussing those news about. Uh, inflation, about price hike, about unemployment, there's not a single TV show discussing unemployment in Pakistan, about uh, poverty in Pakistan, about health crisis, education crisis in Pakistan, and all the time, 24 hours, they are discussing that Imran Khan uh, had allegedly an assassination attempt, uh, and which themselves, they have mocked a lot, which uh, they're even some people died some ordinary workers of even imran khan's party died of that but not a single leader uh, was injured in that and uh, they were uh, just giving contradictory statements all the time and even people made fun of that uh, that which was very strange and very mm. disturbing actually
0: yeah i think that's such an important point to outline that while the establishment press focus on this this circus these squabbles between these absolutely rotten characters at the top. The reality facing millions of ordinary Pakistanis is absolutely unbearable. And we mentioned at the beginning of the discussion the impact of this terrible flood last year. And the scenes coming out of Pakistan were absolutely apocalyptic. Um, To what extent has the country respond to, to this disaster? Um, has there been any sort of recovery? Uh, what are the conditions facing the people in the aftermath of this catastrophe?
1: Oh, yes, uh, that catastrophe is still continuing, actually. Those people who were displaced due to floods have still been displaced. Uh, I visited, uh, uh, like, Sindh, uh, traveled my road to a lot parts of Sindh, La- Two months ago and still there was flood waters was still there many villages were still drowned in flood waters and uh, they were uninhabitable many villages across the just on the road i'm talking about the road even if you go far from the main road things are much worse and there are no health facilities no food no clothing for those people and uh, the ruling class uh, has not done a single thing for uh, these people. And uh, similarly, they, this has become a habit of the ruling class of Pakistan. Either it is Nawaz Sharif or Imran Khan or Zardari or Bhutto. They just uh, come on TV screen and say that we are a poor country and we can do nothing for the people. So uh, ultimately, they, according to them, it is the fate of the people that they have to die just because of misery and destitution and uh, government can do nothing for them. They can, can't give them health, education. Or other things, but this is totally false and uh, uh, wrong uh, uh, assertion by the government. Actually, government can do a lot of things, even uh, government can give food to all of people. Even today, they have enough resources, they have enough stocks that food can be given to every a person living in this country. Health facilities can be given only if you tax the rich, only if you uh, uh, get the ex- uh, ex- uh, what do you call it, expropriate the rich, if you tax the profits of the multinational companies. Because in Pakistan, the rich are paying negligible taxes. This is the country, one of the countries in the world, where uh, indirect taxation is more than 70% uh, of the total revenues. and direct taxation, that is taxation on the rich people, right? taxation on their profits, taxation on their wealth, taxation on their properties, almost neglig- negligible. And uh, they are not paying any taxes, and uh, and this ruling class has never asked for that, and is always putting the burden on the common people, and is uh, snatching away all the uh, basic things. Even they had, they had some health in the past, they had some education. A few millions had access to that, but now it is all over for them. But on the, if you go to the areas, post societies, rich areas, we will never even. For a second, we'll think that you are in a poor country. You go to the Islamabad where all these ministers and uh, ruling classes are living. If you go to see the lifestyle of the generals of Pakistan, army officers in Pakistan, you would be astonished to see that these are soldiers, or these are princes or kings and queens who are living in such palaces. And uh, similarly, the all other rich uh, society. So uh, overall, we see that that is a uh, economic Uh, you can say massacre of the people going on. And in the flood uh, hit areas, uh, there is no, nothing government has done from the very start. And they are saying that uh, we can do nothing. And even more floods are predicted uh, this year and uh, heat waves have become a common thing. The climate catastrophe in Pakistan is huge and Pakistan is one of the top countries in the world which are affected by the climate change. Pakistan is the country where uh, the number of glaciers is most, uh, apart from the polar regions, there are most glaciers in any, any country, it is Pakistan, which are uh, getting, uh, due to climate change and global warming, they are producing more floods and there are uh, devastations by artificial lakes every year in which many villages have drowned earlier as well in northern regions. So overall climate catastrophe is huge, the heat waves and all that, but Pakistani ruling class could have done a lot better, even in these conditions. I'm not talking about a socialist revolution or a socialist planned economy, which will be entirely a different thing. But even in the remains of the capitalist system, this ruling class could have done a lot of things. But they are so, they are butchers, actually. They are uh, uh, bloodthirsty monsters, actually. And calling them human beings uh, would be a big mistake, actually. They have made this country a living hell for the working class.
0: Yes, and in the context of that living hell, you said towards the beginning of our discussion that the anger of the people could explode at any moment. And I think back again to the revolutionary movement last year in Sri Lanka, which was nominally started by um, the cost of fuel and blackouts and The cost of basic goods increasing under pressure of the global economic crisis, the global cost-of-living crisis. And suddenly, out of nowhere, you had this incredibly powerful revolutionary movement that saw people storming um, Gota Rajapaksa's palace and putting the ruling class on the brink of overthrow. And that movement erupted almost without warning. And I think that we've said before that, in in, in discussion outside of this call, that Pakistan is one of those countries where such a thing could happen. It could emerge like a bolt out of a clear blue sky, as Alan Woods uh, is is fond of saying. But I suppose what I would like to ask you, as somebody organizing um, in Pakistan, in these conditions, what are the lessons that need to be learned from the revolutionary movement in Sri Lanka? Because, of course, that movement, for now at least, has been defeated. So what are the lessons of Sri Lanka that are relevant to Pakistan?
1: Uh, yes, uh, there are very striking similarities with the situation in Sri Lanka because uh, Sri Lanka also went bankrupt and Pakistan is on the verge of bankruptcy. And also Sri Lanka had the problem of uh, that they were, getting loans from uh, Western imperialist powers as well as from China as well. And Pakistan has also got between these two different uh, competing powers across the world at this moment, and they have to pay back Western imperialist powers and international financial institutions like IMF and World Bank and other Western countries. And also one-third of the debt is to the Chinese, and Pakistan has to pay back to China as well. And similarly, there are other many striking similarities, and the revolutionary uh, situation in Sri Lanka was uh, a huge uh, experience, uh, for not only for the Sri Lankan masses, but uh, uh, revolutionaries across the world. That was uh, very important to observe, and in Pakistan, actually, the Pakistani government imposed a ban uh, on media that uh, nobody will discuss the situation in Sri Lanka and uh, all the movement going on, and newspapers and televisions everywhere, there was no discussion about that. And in those days, the Pakistani cricket team was visiting Sri Lanka and everything about Sri Lanka was around that cricket matches being played there. But uh, uh, of course it can happen in Pakistan as well. And uh, people uh, are really very angry. People are really very disturbed and furious about all this, what is happening. And all this uh, situation can come to a grinding heart. At any moment, just like it came into Sri Lanka, because if Pakistan will not have enough money, they will not be able to import oil. And uh, that means that no electricity and no transport available in the whole country. And already there is a scarcity of medicines, of many food items, which will uh, get uh, exacerbated over the period of time. And then there is a depreciation of the currency and one day you wake up and you see the 10% depreciation. Another day it is 4% depreciation. Some day it is 5%. So depreciation is already getting uh, at a higher and higher rate. And it can get out of control at some point. And things can worse. And already in Pakistan, if you talk with uh, different people, somebody say, and you ask them what will happen, what is the future of Pakistan? Somebody would say that is there is an anarchy. Somebody says there will be bloodshed, some people say there will be a a meltdown, economic meltdown, there will be civil war, all kinds of predictions are uh, hovering around, but it is only the Marxists as IMT, we are saying that there will be a revolution in Pakistan and there will be a huge, but on the surface you don't see anything like that. You don't see huge protests, uh, huge strikes going on, huge bigger movements of the working class at the moment or of uh, students or youth at any campuses or things. And uh, on the surface, it looks quite calm at the moment. But actually, if you see a little beneath the surface, there is a huge, uh, uh, just like a volcano, as a society has become like a volcano, beneath the surface, there is a huge amount of... uh, molten lava that is uh, heating up and that can erupt on the surface at any moment. And any one incident, just like we see even in Iran, that uh, assassination of a young Al-Mahsa in Tehran uh, led to a huge revolutionary movement across the country in which hundreds of thousands of young students came out on the streets. Similarly, any one incident in Pakistan can lead to such situation. And there can be a huge revolutionary movement in Pakistan in which working class especially can play its uh, evolutionary role, uh, the farmers, and even uh, it can uh, erupt from any section of the society, even uh, a uh, a rape uh, attempt or uh, murder of a woman can lead to such protests. Even in the past years, we have seen there a huge anger against uh, oppression against women in Pakistan, and there were huge protests on the killing of innocent children and females and rape uh, in Pakistan. Similarly, there can be uh, start of the movement from students because already the education system is collapsing. The uh, fee hike and unemployment is uh, affecting students a lot. And even the peasants are farmers, even small farmers and even middle level farmers are suffering a lot and they are a real anger and a movement can start from the rural areas as well. And of course, the working class in Pakistan has a very strong militant conditions. And they are being affected by this crisis. So any section of the society can uh, begin this movement. But uh, even in the oppressed nationalities, Pakistan is uh, often, we call it the prison house of the oppressed nationalities. There are many like Kaloj, Sindhis, Khristuns, Hazaras. Many uh, oppressed nationalities in Pakistan are also suffering from uh, the uh, state oppression. So uh, there can be a movement erupting from any of that section of society as well. But once it erupts, it can uh, spread to the whole of the country, and not only the country, but across the borders to the whole of the region. And uh, that can uh, be uh, uh, changing, you can see, a historic and epoch-making juncture of Pakistan. And of course, the lessons we have learned from Sri Lanka is that our revolutionary party, In Sri Lanka, if there had been a revolutionary party with a Marxist program and a clear political uh, line at that time, things could have been transformed uh, very quickly. Uh, When people uh, uh, defeated the uh, resistance of the army and police and took over the presidential uh, palace in Colombo and Raja Paksha had to run away and leave the country, at that time, there was uh, uh, power was there on the streets, but there was no political party, there was no revolutionary party which could have picked up that power. And only one political program, a clear political line could have been a, a decisive factor, could have transformed the whole factor. But to, get, uh, to give that political program, you need an ideological base, you need a Marxist cadres, you need a revolutionary program, revolutionary ideas for that. And uh, we have learned from that and we are building a revolutionary party in Pakistan. And in uh, such a situation, we can uh, intervene in these events and uh, can uh, spread our revolutionary message to the working class, to students, to youths, to farmers across the country. And uh, can uh, uh, lead to uh, seizing that moment and transforming the situation and uh, getting people out of this misery which is only possible through a socialist revolution. Within the confines of capitalism, there is no solution. For the working class, there is no solution. For the uh, masses suffering from poverty and hunger and disease, there is no solution within the confines of capitalism. Only way forward is to break uh, the shackles of uh, this capitalist slavery, this uh, uh, bloodthirsty capitalist system and overthrow it, uh, overthrow this uh, oppressive and repressive capitalist state institutions, which include this judiciary, this army hierarchy, this uh, civil institutions, and to replace it with the workers' state and the workers' democracy. And uh, instead of market economy, we need a planned socialist economy in Pakistan and to expropriate all the rich, all the capitalist multinationals, banks, financial institutions, and workers need to take power, otherwise there is no solution within the
0: system. And I should say that at the time of recording, uh, Lal Salam, our Pakistani organization is in the process of organizing its 2023 Congress. By the time this episode goes out, it will have been held. So um, very best of luck, Adam, in organizing that event. The comrades in Pakistan have been conducting very important revolutionary work over a number of years in very difficult conditions. Uh, a few of the reports we've had more recently include some really tremendously successful youth events via la Salam's youth wing the progressive youth alliance this is their youth and student organization there was the uh, halal ball or raise hell to translate into english youth convention um, in karachi after that um, the pya held its convention in multan where over 700 students young people workers and political activists from across the country took part so it's always very encouraging from a british perspective to see these successes but adam i wonder just to close out the interview if you could tell our listeners what la salam and the pya and also the red workers front which is our trade union uh, organization in pakistan are up to what sorts of struggles are you involved in what are your plans for the coming period
1: Oh yes, uh, that's a uh, huge uh, success. We have been uh, doing uh, a lot of uh, work among youth, among students, among uh, workers across the country, and have been patiently explaining all the situation. One of the most important victory for Lalsalam in Pakistan is that what the situation is today. We have been predicting it over the, uh, last many years, and we were the only uh, uh, organization. Uh, not only in the left, but in all of the country, which was saying that the situation will lead to this, but there were many people saying, "No, no, no, this will not happen. America will bail out Pakistan. IMF will not let this happen, and this uh, country will not go bankrupt." Things, many things like that. But we were uh, consistently putting forward these positions, these perspectives, and, not, and uh, were taking these uh, positions to uh, workers and youth across the country, like. Uh, we are the only organization on the left which has a strong presence on the campuses, on all major universities across the country. Either it is Balochistan University or Peshawar University or Karachi University or in Lahore we have Punjab University or Government College or in Multan, uh BZ uh, uh, University or in Bahawalpur, in Gujaramalla, Faisalabad. We are the only left organization which has presence in all uh, campuses. And similarly, uh, we are uh, the only organization uh, which is present in all regions and parts of the country. If there is a coastal region in Gawadar, there was a huge movement uh, there for the last two years in which uh, hundreds of thousands of people came out in that small coastal town against uh, 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 for state repression and for other demands of uh, clean water and against security check posts. And we were there intervening in that movement. And then... In the uh, north of the country, in Gilgit, which is bordering China, actually, uh, there were many movements in which uh, our comrades were leading those movements against uh, attacks uh, on the living conditions of the people. And our comrades in Gilgit are playing a leading role in many movements and struggles there. Similarly, in uh, Pakistani administrative Kashmir, we led uh, movements against price hike in electricity and price hike in wheat flour and other uh, things. And at one point, we were leading a movement of around 50,000 people. Similarly, in Pashtun Kha, which is hardly hit by Taliban and terrorist attacks in recent uh, years, uh, we have held uh, huge meetings against uh, these things. And uh, there were very successful meetings in Peshawar University and in other regions. of Pashtun Kha, where we discussed a revolutionary alternative and how we can uh, fight against uh, this terrorism by the unity of the working class and with a clear revolutionary class uh, program. And similarly, we have been interviewing uh, in the workers' movement in Karachi, especially there is a very important industrial area in Landi Kurangi in Karachi, which where millions of workers are working in uh, industrial. Industries and there are uh, many organized unions there which are part of the Red Workers Front, which are affiliated with Red Workers Front. And uh, we held a huge protest there for uh, raising the minimum wage in Pakistan, which is miserably low actually. And despite all this uh, inflation, which is around 50% minimum wage, has not been raised, which is uh, uh, around 25,000 rupees per month. At that time, when we uh, opened that agitation, it was around 17,000 per month. And after our agitation protest, uh, not only the working working class in Karachi, but whole of the country benefited from that. And millions of workers got a wage raise in those industrial areas and across the whole country, which was uh, due to the efforts of Red Workers Front in Karachi especially. Uh, then in Hyderabad, in uh, rural areas of Sindh, uh, we have held many protests. In Sindh University, Jamshoro, we had a very huge uh, meeting of students uh, there, with more than 1,000 students participated in a cultural uh, pro- uh, meeting organized by Progressive Youth Alliance. And uh, we had revolutionary songs and dances there. And then uh, there is a huge list of activities, uh, uh, like in railway workers, especially in Lahore and in other cities, uh, IMT is playing a very important role. We have led many struggles in the railway workers in Lahore where other trade union leaders were not uh, allowing or were not uh, interested in those struggles. But Red Workers Front initiated uh, uh, some struggles to get the, the back the wages of uh, railway workers in Lahore and, and other cities. Similarly, in electricity workers in Lahore and other cities, I Red Workers Front is playing a leading role and organizing electricity workers, even garment workers in Lahore uh, are getting organized uh, around IMT in Pakistan, and similarly in other uh, cities, uh, among students, among workers, among especially on women's issue, IMT is putting forward a clear class line against the reactionary mullahs uh, and uh, reactionary uh, laws in Pakistan, and not only these. Uh, 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 state repression but on, also against the imperialist back ngos and uh, liberal organizations who are another which are another phase of capitalism and are trying to uh, put a cosmetic uh, makeup on the capitalist system so we are putting forward a class position against all these and uh, we have uh, intervened uh, uh, launched a campaign of anti-harassment campaign in campuses around the country in which we are putting forward that there should be elected representatives in every campus uh, that would uh, uh, look after the cases, complaints of sexual harassment uh, uh, filed by the female students there because there is no such mechanism uh, present in any campus or any workplaces in Pakistan. And uh, elected representation of students is. Uh, not there, is not allowed on campuses and we are fighting for uh, restoration of student unions across the country. And also in the farmers movement, we are intervening in the there were huge agitations last year by the government implies for the rise in their wages and we were intervening in that and there there are other movements uh, of missing persons in Pakistan in which people are being abducted by the state authorities and are uh, not produced in courts and we have been held holding agitations across the country for those issues and and for other rights of the oppressed uh, nationalities in pakistan and uh, there are a lot of uh, and we are publications we are the only organization in uh, left which are producing regular papers we have a monthly paper which is called worker nama uh, which is organ of lal salam uh, imt in pakistan and uh, which is produced regularly and is uh, being uh, distributed among workers across the country in all provinces, in all regions of the country, workers and trade union leaders and ordinary students and uh, other people are also uh, getting access to that. Then we have a quarterly magazine called Lal Salaam, which has theoretical discussions about Marxism, about philosophy, about historical materialism, about uh, revolutionary literature, poetry, and uh, on. Uh, science and many other topics, so that is uh, also very well received among uh, students and workers across the country. Then we have a youth paper which is called Halla Bol, uh, which is a quarterly paper which has uh, very interesting discussions about youth issues, about film reviews, about uh, music, about uh, campus life, about uh, issues about student politics of union rights, about uh, sexual harassment issues in campuses and others. And they have reports of uh, activities across the country. Then we are producing a lot of books. Actually, publishing books. Uh, we have recently published an Urdu translation of Alan Woods' book Bolshevism: Road to Revolution, which was very well received. And before that, uh, we have published uh, books uh, about uh, China-Pakistan economic corridor, about a Marxist critique on liberalism, about uh, the, uh, Marxist position on uh, women uh, rights, and then we have published uh, a book of uh, introduction to dialectical materialism which have, we have translated many issues then we have published a book on the kashmir issue uh, kashmirs freedom a socialist way out that how uh, we can fight for the freedom of kashmir uh, uh, on socialist lines and how this kashmir issue can be solved uh, through a socialist revolution and what is the and in that book we have also discussed the lenins uh, position on national question and what is the Marxist way to address the national question in Pakistan. So there are very important books we are publishing. Then on social media, we have a lot of presence. We have two websites, uh, Lal Salaam website and uh, a youth website separately, which are being regularly updated. Then we have a mazdoor TV, which is an online uh, TV channel available on social media, in which we regularly conduct interviews of workers, about workers' issues, about political issues, discussions, talk shows, not only in Pakistan, but all in Europe, America, workers and other uh, issues, uh, world situation, Pakistan political situation that are regularly being discussed and is getting a a good response uh, in Pakistan and beyond. And similarly, uh, we are producing documentaries Uh, on online uh, publishing, which is, uh, we have published documentaries on Bhagat Singh, who was a revolutionary in India, was assassinated by British imperialism. We have produced documentaries on women issues about a life of a worker, was a very well uh, received documentary we published uh, two years ago. And uh, similarly, in many other issues, we are producing videos and even a a 10 minute short film was produced by young comrades. We are also uh, using uh, street theater. Theater is another aspect. Comrades are using it. And uh, they performed a street theater called Machine, which was written by a martyred Indian revolutionary playwright Safdar Hashmi, and which was performed in uh, industrial area in Lahore, in which uh, more than 100 workers watched that performance and appreciated. Uh, students and young people who participated in that. So I think uh, this is all possible because of our ideas, because of our revolutionary perspectives and uh, our struggle for a socialist transformation of society. And we are quite determined that uh, in the coming period will give us opportunities to grow tremendously and our uh, strengths can grow from hundreds into thousands and uh, at a revolutionary situation as this society will is uh, uh, destined to enter into a revolutionary situation. I would not say that it will, but it is destined. Uh, We cannot give a time frame that when will that happen. That can happen in a week or a month or a year or two, but uh, that will eventually come. And uh, I think we need to prepare our forces for that critical juncture and play our role so that we can transform uh, this whole society and can overthrow a capitalist system through a socialist revolution on the lines of the Bolshevik Party did under the leadership of Lenin and Trotsky in nineteen seventy.
0: Here here Adam thank you so much for joining us today. Red salute comrade that salute salam comrades la salam that was International Marxist Radio. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again same time next week for more Marxist news, theory, And analysis. And if you've been inspired by what you've heard today, get in touch via our website, Marxist.com, and find out more about how you can join the International Marxist Tendency and fight for revolution where you are.